Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. If you are not familiar with the show, you can visit the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. So standing by to join me on this beautiful Wednesday morning, day before Thanksgiving, is Rabbi Spitz. He's an author, attorney, meditation teacher, and popular lecturer, And he just released a new book, Duets on Psalms, Drawing New Meaning from Ancient Words. And he's here with us right now. Good morning, Rabbi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Janine. A pleasure to be with you. And congratulations on your new book. When did it come out? It just came out two weeks ago. And what does that feel like? It feels happy-making. In this case, it's particularly satisfying in that I co-authored this book with Rabbi Jack Reamer, who's a rabbi that is very dear to me. He is a mentor on deriving meaning from sacred text. Mm -hmm. He's 94 and a half, and he's still excited about new ideas and writing. And to share this book with him added to my joy. I didn't realize that's how old he was or how young he is. That's beautiful. He's amazing. That yeah. is amazing. What it gives was, me hope. Oh, <laughs> what was the process like uh, collaborating together on this? It was, um, you know, although the book is called Duets on Psalms, mm-hmm. in fact, we both wrote our own individual essays on 13 psalms that were favorite psalms of ours. And in some cases, he would have read what I had written and would react to it, and that would be true in the other direction. And then these two essays that were done in somewhat response to each other were taken apart into smaller bites with a dual focus. The first is for these 13 psalms, what's the artistry of the psalm? and that's looking carefully at the weave and the intentionality. And then the second, as pulpit rabbis, in what ways are these ancient words meaningful to us, or a phrase? What does it ignite within us? And so the book has lots of short little essays in reaction to the Psalms. Now, I have a question for you. Let's say a listener is listening to us, and they're saying, well, I don't really know what a psalm is, and I'm not a very religious person. So... Could you walk us through that? Oh, sure. So a psalm is a poem or a song. In Hebrew, they are called tehillim, which means praise. And in many cases, these songs are in praise of God. But there's something distinctive about these kinds of songs or these kinds of poetry. They are remarkably self-honest because... The audience for the 150 psalms contained in the Bible, the audience is God. And the mindset of the poet is, God knows me, I can be and need to be fully honest with God. Some of these poems are indeed psalms praising the wonder of the universe. The word hallelujah comes from psalms, meaning Praise be God. But other psalms are wrestling with God's absence or even mired in darkness. Sure. There's a whole palette of human emotion 
described in Psalms. About five years ago, Lincoln Center in New York did a festival on music of the 150 Psalms, taken mostly from Christian liturgy, and that Psalms are the backbone of prayer, both for Christians and for Jews. They did a festival of the selection of music for each of the 150 Psalms, and in one of the reviews of that festival, they wrote, in order to understand Psalms, all you need to do is bring your humanity. In sum, Psalms are songs or poems to God, reflecting a range of human emotions, and speak to us across generations and even across religions because of that quality of honesty. And I love how in the book that you also talk about, you know, this also seeps into contemporary secular culture, you know, different musical, you know, artists or things like you, you mentioned the 2022 Academy Award-winning film, The Power of the Dog. Taken the title, taken from a psalm. Mm-hmm. I will add, in terms of that choice of language, is the taken from the most popular translation of Psalms, and that's the King James Version in the 1600s and done a little later. But when we see say words at a funeral like, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures, that 23... Psalm 23 through the translation of the King James Bible. And every translation says, you know, he maketh me to lie down the language of English of its day, but more, the Psalms were originally written in Hebrew. Translation is also an interpretation. Okay. I want to just interject and ask something. Um, when you were working, um, you know, as co-authoring this book, were there moments where you thought, oh, I didn't think of it that way, you know? Be, like you were gaining these new insights. Were you gaining new insights into these psalms that you had never realized before? Absolutely. And, and particularly when looking closely Hebrew, as a student of Hebrew, a student of Bible, Hebrew is much more subject to meanings than English would be. It's a smaller vocabulary. A little background. During COVID, I taught 150 Psalms for a half hour each by Zoom. I had, because of Zoom, an audience far and wide, which included my teacher, Rabbi Jack Reamer, who lives in Boca. Okay. So I translated the Psalms for myself, and in doing that, I became so aware of the nuance of the language, and I had students, and my students' insights illuminated what familiar and unfamiliar ways. Was there a recording of this, by the way? So you can, if you put in Ellie Spitz, E-L-I-E, second names, S-P-I-T-Z, Psalms, it'll up. 
I, wait, 50 are on YouTube. Wait, excuse me. I'm losing a little bit of some of your words. I don't know um, if you're in a funny zone in your house, or I just want to mention I, I'm losing a couple words here and there. Let me hear you say. Whoop. Now I don't hear. Say that again. Directly. So if you go to YouTube, there, that's better. Perfect. Put YouTube, and you do uh, Ellie Spitz Psalms. You'll get a menu of all 150 Psalms, a half-hour teaching, largely focused on the composition and the weave, the artistry of the Psalm, but also a range of commentaries, both Christian and Jewish, and ways that the respective Psalm was used in music and in art. Okay. Again, psalms so deeply penetrate our secular culture as well as our religious because of their distinctiveness. Songs to God. If I could, I'd like to give you one example of what I learned from my students, which is your question, that transformed how I read a psalm. So I began sharing as an example of words that we all have heard. Um, but don't know much about. Namely, an example, Psalm 23, often used at funerals. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now that's that's half the psalm. That's another remarkable thing, and that is Many of these songs, not unlike contemporary songs, aren't that long, and yet they're packed with potential content. In this case, this psalm begins with a comforting image. That's probably why it's part of funerals. God is our shepherd, Mm -hmm. taking us, leading us by green pastures and still waters. That pastoral image is very comforting. It's blues and greens, those pastel colors of comfort. But listen to line three. Line three in the King James, He, God, restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for um, His name's sake. But when I looked carefully, I saw that in the Hebrew, instead of... um, paths of righteousness. The word for paths in Hebrew is ma'agle, which literally means a circle, circles of righteousness. And here's what I learned. This psalm is about a a life journey that begins with being cared for, the way a baby or young child would be, and then shifts to adulthood. And the transition verse can be translated as follows. My spirit, God revives, guiding me on roundabouts of justice for the sake of divine name. Roundabouts of justice mean choices. That to be an adult means to be a decision maker. Mm-hmm. And a roundabout, you know, on a road is one with many alternative paths, and you need to choose. Interestingly, in my class, in that Zoom class, was a transportation planner, oh. a, a Sharon Green, a, a, a remarkably 
uh, impactful transportation planner, and she talked about how roundabouts equal choices and the transition from the first two lines where we are like sheep to being a human is precisely not just roundabouts, but roundabouts of justice, that what defines adulthood is the ability to make choices and to do so based on right and wrong, which in this case, for the psalmist, we do so for the sake of the divine name, for God's name. We do it because somehow it's objectively or more beyond our own immediate needs, right and wrong. And then I'll continue just to teach briefly how this short psalm continues. Also, now my translation, also for though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's also part of adulthood, the recognition that our years are limited. I will fear no harm, for you stand with me. And that is evocative of those songs, you know, stand by your manners, Mm -hmm. Um, stand by me. The image that we gain a sense of strength in the face of danger. I will fear no harm, for you stand with me, because there's a caring presence. Your restraining rod and your supporting staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me opposite my tormentors. You luxuriate my head with oil. My cup overflows. In that verse, we're able to enjoy the gifts of life despite having problems, torment. And tormentors can be not only enemies from without, but our own inner voices, our own inner struggles that indeed can be very painful. And that part of adulthood is being able to fill the gifts of life despite the ongoing ups and downs and challenges, both from without and from within. You luxuriate my head with oil, my cup overflows. There's a sense of feeling the bounty of life, and yet that it's not all simple. And then the last line, surely goodness and mercy, now this is King James, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now that may be the house of the Lord in Jerusalem when originally written. Indeed, these poems, in many cases, were written by the priests of the temple in Jerusalem, or the Levites, who were the singers in the temple. But there's another way to contemporize this last line. Let only goodness and kindness pursue me all the days of my life. So may I feel as if what's yet to be ahead will be good, as if it's pursuing me. And Mm -hmm. maybe I'll slow down and it'll catch up to me. And instead of I will dwell in the house, back to Hebrew and wordplay, and I will find Sabbath in the home of Adonai for unending days. Sabbath in the... Biblical tradition is a time of wholeness, of peace, that that's not only to be experienced in the temple, but in the world, because the entire world is the home of God, Mm -hmm. and Sabbath is not something you experience not necessarily one day a week, but whenever we catch our breath, we allow goodness to catch up to us and feel wholeness and at peace. 
And so this psalm, Psalm 23, to all those listening, you're going to continue to hear this, whether in church or synagogue or at graveside, to consider how remarkable that across thousands of years, these words still resonate for us, and even more, they may resonate because they've been chanted by generations before us, and to be also understood as our own journeys in life, being cared for, needing to make choices, and needing to be able to express and experience bounty despite inner and outer torment at times, and ultimately to pursue, see ourselves pursued by goodness, to recognize goodness, and for that to take us to a place of Sabbath, of inner calm and wholeness and God's presence. And so that's just one short psalm, a familiar psalm, to say, translate. Rabbi Spitz? To answer your question, my students helped illuminate this psalm for me. This is so beautiful. I was just, as as you were speaking, I was actually taking a a few notes, um, if you don't mind me interjecting for a moment. Um, Sure. The messages are timeless in these psalms, and what's what I noted uh, you mentioned in the book is we don't know when they were written and who wrote them, but it's so interesting that the messages are timeless, and then they remind us to be mindful and have gratitude, whether we're experiencing inner or inner torment or external situations as we are now. Exactly. Well, well summarized. Thank you. That's right, and I will emphasize that there's 150, some are only two verses long, some are 151 verses long. Most, not unlike Psalm 23, are relatively short. They're songs. And just like the songs that we hear on the radio and that become our own, so these words can also become our own. What would you like listeners to take away from this book? Because we did mention, you know, finding solace uh, with what's going on in the world and that these are timeless. Um, But are there specific points you'd like to bring home to listeners? So to all the listeners, what I'd like to share is that life is learning how to surf. There are natural rising and falling of waves of emotion. And A lot of that rising and falling is generated by things beyond our control, events beyond our control, economic situations, disputes, wars. And at the same time, not unlike this psalm, we are given empowerment to know we can choose how to respond and react, and that right and wrong matters. And learning how to discern right and wrong, that's the art. And that's something that requires transcending our own immediate needs. That's all just within this one psalm. But within the 150 psalms, to know that in that rising and falling of waves, there are many emotions. And learning to identify those emotions, to give them words and laugh. What's distinctive about psalms, is to do so with unfiltered honesty. The image of God, and we can all understand God, perhaps 
in our own personal ways, filtered through our own life experience. But to see ourselves standing in front of a caring presence to whom we're accountable, to whom we can speak, who listens, is a resource. So as a counselor, one last thought. When people would come to me for counseling as a rabbi, and they would want me, for instance, I had a woman come to me and say, my PTA has said that I have embezzled. I'm a very poor bookkeeper, but I never took anything. But I'm feeling as if people are looking at me askance. I said, here's what I recommend. Go and to the sanctuary and write a letter to God and express what you're feeling to God. She came back, and I said, now go back and answer your letter as if God was responding to you. Mm. She returned to my office, and I could already feel when she began to speak a quality of ease. And she said, you know, God confirmed that I didn't do anything wrong other than perhaps be a poor bookkeeper, I'm okay with God, I'm okay with others and with the world. And this notion of letters to God as a way to express ourselves in an unfiltered way, as a private letter, and then even to engage in this empathy of answering ourselves as if it was God is a very powerful counseling tool. And that's regardless, again, people will have different faith traditions, different understandings of God, but what God equals is a caring presence who loves us and to whom we're accountable. To speak to such a presence is to have a vessel for our gratitude, but also for accountability. And that's what Psalms are, and that, in Getting Out the Funk, the wonderful (laughs) title of your program, is one of many tools for being aligned with our deepest self. That is beautiful, and I love the letters to God because it made me think how there's no judgment and there's unconditional love, whereas you're, we're always worried about like what other people think, about what I said, what I did. And when you write that letter, you, you don't feel judged. You're just pouring yourself out on the paper. Right. I used to think that, that how God would respond would be a product of people's relationships with their own parents. Oh. just in terms of a natural psychological mechanism. Sure. But what I found, I would do this exercise with classes of children and their parents to explain the nature of prayer, and I found that, with rare exception, when one writes a letter to God and does it, again, on this private letter, so it's unselfconscious flow of, of words, that what emerges is an ideal parent, the parent that loves us. And that's more than just a psychological projection. That's in the sense of why I'm religious. I believe that within creation itself, there's this abiding flow of love, and that we have the potential to tap into it, and that it's a lure. It leads us to the best parts of who we could be. That's beautiful. This makes me think of uh, my focus lately is how can we become better to ourselves and better to one another because our future is at stake. And when you take care of ourselves, we can be better to the people that depend on us and even to a total stranger. Absolutely. So there's this 
teaching of the rabbis of Hillel, first century Israel, who said, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? Which means we have to start with self-care. Mm-hmm. But he then continued, but if I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Which is to say, we do have to care and love ourselves and know that that God loves us. And I had a teacher who was a rabbi psychiatrist named Abe Tversky, who dedicated his career to addictions. It's worth looking at his books on Amazon. He wrote a lot for Hazleton, the AA imprint. And he said that the 60 books he wrote all came down to one line. And the one line is, you are lovable. Mm, And to feel that you're worthy of love, he said often for addictions, which became the focus of his career, was self-medicating. And that if we felt worthy of love and lovable, we could move forward with our lives. And and, and so that part of Hillel, it has to begin with knowing you're breaking up, and then now I lost you. I don't hear you. And and that we're also accountable. Yes. Well, we need so to... That w- Go ahead. I'll let you yeah. finish that thought. So, that it's a ba- <laughs> so there's a between loving ourselves mm-hmm. and knowing that, our, that we have to go beyond ourselves to be our b- best selves. We're only fully human when we're more than ourselves. Yes. Beautiful. Rabbi, where can people find out more about you? So they can Google me, and you can find a lot of information. Yes. <laughs> Ellie, Ellie Spitz. You can go to Amazon. This recent book that you're honoring me with our conversation, Duets on Psalms, is on Amazon. It's my fourth book. My first book dealt with um, Does the Soul Survive Through the Eyes of a Juror? looking at near-death experience and mediums and biblical verses. The second dealt with depression, called Healing from Despair and Normalizing Darkness in Life. The third was called Increasing Wholeness with lots of guided visualizations. So all those books are available on Amazon. Fantastic. I want to thank you so much for calling in. This has been a tremendous conversation. And for the listeners, if you've missed any part of this, this will be up on the show blog within an hour after I wrap. And the show blog is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. I want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Janine. What a treat for me to start my day with you. Thank you. Take care. Talk to you soon. All right. Do well. Bye. Again, if you missed any part of my conversation with Rabbi Spitz, it'll be up as a podcast within an hour. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. I'm here every Wednesday at 9. We're going to take a little break, uh, and then we'll be back. And I'm going to share some details about how you can volunteer in Orange County around the holidays and beyond. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.